Good morning. Um, It's a privilege to do this. I love you, and I love the Bible. So it's a special, did it, did it, was was I amplified when I said I love you? Okay, if I wasn't amplified, I love you, and I love the Bible. And so it's a very sweet privilege to be able to stand before you and uh, bring God's word to you. Um, I have recently been on a sabbatical, And I'm going to tell you now about something that happened while I was on my sabbatical. Uh, It was a Monday afternoon, and uh, I was hanging out at the house, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. I was outside playing some basketball with my son. And I came in from the house, or from outside, and I, I just took, you know, picked up the phone to look at my phone, make sure I hadn't missed anything, because you know that that FOMO, that fear of missing out, is big with the phones. But I'm not going to lecture you about the phones again today. Um, I, I looked at my phone to see if I'd missed anything, and I was, I was really taken aback because, you know, you could see like a sentence of the text message. It was this message came up and said, Hi, Larry, my name is Garrett Kell, dot, dot, dot. And I, and I was like, you probably don't know the name Garrett Kell. There's a small number of you in this room that would know the name Garrett Kell. Garrett is a pastor down in Alexandria, Virginia, and I've known of his ministry. He's published a couple of books, and uh, I, I have appreciated listening to his sermons. He's a heavenly-minded brother. Took over uh, a church in Virginia about a decade ago that had, I think, eight or ten members, and the church is now about 450 members faithful brother, preaching the word. And again, I've, I've kind of learned from him. I've known of him. I actually met him one time uh, about a year or two ago when we visited the church, but he, he was introducing himself to me in a text message. And um, he said that through a mutual pastor friend of ours, he had received a, a video of me uh, preaching the book of Hebrews standing on this stage uh, some years ago uh, and some of you, I think, maybe were here for this when I, we completed a series on the book of Hebrews, and I, I recited the book of Hebrews, and I kind of preached the book of Hebrews as a sermon from start to finish. And this pastor friend of mine, had, uh, a mutual friend of ours, had gotten a hold of that recording and then began, without me knowing it, sending it to other pastor friends of his, saying, you need to look at this. This is really wonderful to see. And Garrett had received that message and had watched the message from the book of Hebrews, and he got my number, and he was reaching out to me to communicate to me uh, that he was very blessed and enriched uh, in watching that expression of devotion to God's word, and that he had been personally having taught himself many times through the book of Hebrews, that it just personally uh, moved him with fresh affection for the supremacy of Jesus as he watched the the book of Hebrews being uh, preached from start to finish. And so I got this message on a Monday afternoon, and it's like, you know, my, my heart was kind of racing. It's a little silly because it's like, he's just a guy who's a pastor down, you know, uh, a, a couple of hours away. And I was kind of thinking about my, my heart and why I feel, you know, it's like, is this prideful? I, you know, I, I wasn't, but I, I think with some reflection on it, what really stands out to me most is how um, the word that came to my mind is ennobling. Uh, strengthening, edifying, encouraging. There's other words that you could use. It, how how it, it feels when someone that you respect and admire 
expresses to you delight or enjoyment in something that you have done. Now, before I tell you why I'm sharing that anecdote, let me just pause here. I shared that anecdote with somebody, a member of our church earlier in the week, because I just telling him I was getting ready to say this. And this member of the church said, can you please tell the church that they need to grow in that? Because we're not very good at that. So I'm putting that out there. That's not why I shared the anecdote, but I'm giving you free application before I've even told you to turn anywhere in the Bible. I'm sharing that anecdote with you because I think it is a very dim, faint whisper of the absolute wonder that the Apostle Paul speaks of in the passage that we are going to look at this morning, and that is the thrill of living in a way of actually doing things in our lives that bring pleasure to God. How was my sabbatical? A number of you have asked me. Uh, It was a season for me to reflect on and remember that I exist, I have life, particularly I have new life in Christ in order to be pleasing to God. And I have fresh resolve and eagerness to give myself daily to making that my aim, to please God. And that's what I want to think with you about this morning from the book of Colossians and from a prayer that the Apostle Paul prayed for the Colossians. So you can turn now in your Bibles uh, to Colossians chapter 1. If you want to use one of the Bibles that are are provided there under the seats, it's on page 983 of those Bibles. Uh, Colossians chapter 1. Paul wrote this letter uh, to the saints in Colossae, and he wrote specifically to encourage them and urge them to uh, continue trusting in Jesus and the finished work of Jesus in the very same way that they had initially come to believe upon Christ for their salvation. Uh, There were other teachers that had crept into the church and were seeking to lead them astray from that kind of single-minded devotion to Jesus, and they they were teaching in different ways, whether it was adherence to Jewish laws and customs and traditions or the worship of angels or selling all their possessions and living uh, like ascetics. They were trying to lead people away from just single-minded devotion to Jesus, and they were basically teaching that you needed Jesus and some other things in order to be full, to be complete. And Paul is writing to uh, shut all that down. He, he wants to remind them of the fullness and the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus. And that's what the book of Colossians really is all about. If, I was to, if we were preaching a series of sermons on the book of Colossians, I think I would title it, Christ is All. And a little advertisement for the uh, young people aged 6th through 12th grade. Uh, I, I got a sneak preview of the Sunday school curriculum for the coming year, and you young people have a wonderful opportunity over the next year, I believe it's 20 or 25 weeks, to study in detail the book of Colossians. So do uh, young people, parents of those young people, make that a priority. It, I trust, will be a very enriching study for you. 
we're in Colossians 1 this morning, and uh, early in the letter, Paul asserts, basically, he is praying for them, but he's also teaching them a little bit as he prays. He's teaching them how a life pleasing to God actually happens and what it looks like. So uh, I'm going to read verses, uh, verses 9 to 14 of Colossians 1. I'm really focusing this morning just on verse 10 of Colossians 1. That's the verse that has been particularly impactful for me in these uh, months while I was away, but I'm going to read verses 9 to 14 for a little bit of context. And before I do that, I'm going to pray because it is the Spirit who gives life and the flesh is no help at all. And so we need God's help. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its instruction. Uh, We thank you for the riches that it holds. And we pray that you would build us up and strengthen us in our faith, in our loyalty to Jesus, in our confidence in him and his finished work, and that you would strengthen our resolve and our desire to walk in a way that would be pleasing to you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Colossians 1, verses 9 to 14. 9 to 14. And so, Paul writes, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's word, and I do hope and pray that we receive a blessing as we give ourselves to hearing it and also doing what it says. Again, we're focusing on verse 10 this morning. I gave you some context, and I will mention the pieces of context there, but we're focusing on verse 10 In the midst of this prayer, Paul speaks of walking in a manner, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And the uh, simple main takeaway that I would like for you to have with you, the main idea, if you get anything out of this sermon, this would be a time to listen. Every true saint yearns to please the Lord in every way. Uh, That's the main idea. That's the main point of the sermon. That is the sermon. Every true saint yearns to please the Lord in every way. And we just want to think about that statement, show it to you from this passage and some other passages, and then make this morning some very specific, I think specific and practical application to uh, your lives. So Paul's praying for these Colossian Christians, and he's telling them what he's praying for, and he is praying that they would walk worthily of the Lord, that they would be fully pleasing to him. Literally, it just says, pleasing in all. But this was not just a yearning and a prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians. This was the deep aim 
an ambition of his own life. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, and what he means in that context, I'm not going to do all the exposition of 2 Corinthians 5. I know context is important, Jordan. Uh, but, but what he's saying is whether I'm living in this life or whether I go and I'm with the Lord and I die. Whether at home or away, he says, we make it our aim to please him. That's Paul's aim in life. And he's, he's not just saying him, that's we Christians, we who are God's people, we make it our aim. Whether we're here in life, whether it's time for us to go and be with him, we make it our aim to please him. Seeking to please the Lord in every way is to walk worthily of him. And I think it's very important for you to understand, this is very important for you to understand, uh, if you're here and you're new and you're inquiring about Christianity, this is very important for you to hear. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, we can grow forgetful of this and we can live ignorantly of this. So it's very important for you to hear that to walk worthily of the Lord does not mean, it does not mean that we live such a good life that we make ourselves worthy of God loving us and accepting us into his family. It does not mean that. We, we know it is not about making ourselves fit to receive God's salvation because this prayer is flowing from the praise and thanksgiving that Paul has already given for the Colossians. Do you see how verse 9 begins? I hope your Bibles are still open. This will be one of those weeks where I will probably be pointing you into this passage a few times. Do you see how verse 9 begins? And so, from the day we heard... The prayer that he's praying flows from the praise and thanksgiving. Look at verse 3. We always thank God when we pray for you. Why? Because he says, we've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. He says, of this, of this hope you've heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. They had heard the gospel, they had understood, they had received it, they had embraced the truth of the grace of God to them, and that was the foundation of it all. This, this worthy walk, this yearning to please the Lord in every way is not the root of our salvation. It is the sweet fruit of having received salvation by grace and by grace alone. And Paul makes sure, even at the tail end of the prayer, again, part of the reason why I included that uh, additional context for you, Paul makes it clear even as he wraps up the prayer, uh, he reminds them of that grace of God, right? He says in verse 12, where he says, giving thanks to God who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Have you ever, ever applied for a job that you just thought it's a, it was above you, you really were not, like, it's like a really long shot, I don't know that I'm qualified, but I'm going to give it a shot. This is not quite like that. When we talk about, we're, we're not just slightly unqualified for this share in the inheritance of the saints in light. We are profoundly disqualified from a share in God's glorious inheritance. 
by nature and by choice, we're actually the kind of person who is prohibited, who is excluded from entry into his kingdom. So to be unqualified here is not just to be lacking one or two skills maybe that we need for a share in this inheritance, but it actually is, I mean, we are disqualified. We are the spiritual antithesis of what would be required for us to qualify for entry into God's inheritance. Because we are sinners. And the very essence and heartbeat of sin is this settled determination of someone made by God to know God and love God and worship God and delight in God's way, but the settled determination of a person, and all of us have been guilty of this, that we will make it our aim to please ourselves in every way, rather than to please the Lord by living his way. To sin is to say to the one who holds you together and is at this moment giving you life and breath, is, it's to say to him, not your will, Lord, but mine be done. The sinner might not feel that way. They might think they're a good person. They might not feel like they're rebels against God. But that's just because of the darkness that sinners are in, enslaved under the rule. He speaks there in verse uh, 13, I believe it is, of the domain of darkness. Having been, we've, we've been, as humans, as sinners, we have been taken captive by the devil to do his will. And so the only portion, the only share that we're due to inherit from him is eternal misery and ruin. It's a share, as it says in Revelation 21, in the lake of fire that burns with with sulfur, which is the second death. That's what we have a share in by right, by what we've earned and qualified ourselves for. But what? But what a breathtaking deliverance. He has delivered us, do you see there in verse 13? He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. In Jesus Christ and in Christ alone, we have been qualified. We have been delivered. We have been transferred. We have been redeemed. We have been forgiven. All this because of Jesus Paul says there in verse 21, Bible's open, look a few verses down in in verse 21 of chapter 1. He says, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, you, you who were just drinking yourselves into a stupor, fast bound, as the hymn puts it, in sin and nature's night, you who were rebels against God, he has now, verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. That's talking about Jesus. Jesus came from heaven to earth and he was treated as if he had never pleased God, though he had always pleased God because he was on the cross suffering in his body of flesh for the rebellion that you and I had uh, uh, perpetrated against God. He suffered the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God, the lake of fire. He endured it on the cross. He demonstrated that he had done it by rising triumphantly from the grave. And now we can be presented, verse 22, before God holy and blameless and above reproach before him if we continue in the faith. 
if we just simply give ourselves to trusting Jesus. No works of our own, nothing that we could do to qualify for a share, but Christ has done it and Christ has done it all. And so we, we I, I, oh, there's so many good hymns. I mentioned, and can it be? Amazing love, how can it be? There's another song uh, written by Isaac Watts. Alas, and did my Savior bleed, and did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? He did. And we receive it by faith. And the, and the fruit of that experience, the fruit of that experience of receiving God's grace, not the root, are, are we clear about this? The fruit of seeing such astonishing love and receiving such wondrous grace of being qualified and delivered and transferred and redeemed and forgiven when all we deserve from God was hell. The fruit of that, what that does in the heart of a saint, of one who has come to know the love of Christ, is this yearning to live in such a way that pleases the one who has so richly lavished us with his grace and kindness. This longing that we begin to experience, that we would walk worthily of him. Not making ourselves worthy to earn salvation. We just were clear he did that all in Christ. But to walk in a way, to live, to conduct ourselves in a way that is befitting of, that calls attention to the worth of such a wonderful, gracious Lord as we have in Jesus. That's what Paul says in the, the verse that was the call to worship this morning from Romans 12. He says, he, he runs through all, as, as you reminded us a little bit there of the context, he runs through all this gospel grace in, in 11 chapters, and then he comes to chapter 12, verse 1, and he says to the Romans, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, but the word is the same, it's the same root word here, pleasing, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul reminds the Ephesians of this. I should stop yelling. I'll take, I'll just pause. Take a deep breath and bask in the love of Jesus for you if you're a Christian. Right? Don't need to be such, and Jeff's waiting for you. He's like, slow down, man. Praise God. He, Paul writes to the Ephesians. He says, at one time, you were darkness. That's just similar to what he said to the Colossians. You were under the, in the domain of darkness. He says, you were darkness. But now you're light in the Lord, he says. Walk, walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. That's the Christian's life. You were darkness, but now you're light. How'd that happen? Your works? No. Grace of God. Your light, by the grace of God, Jesus, the light of the world, has shown his light upon you by receiving him. You are light. Walk as children of the light and make it your aim now. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Sometimes we, it's not always clear. We know what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't tell us everything that we might want to hear, but we're making it our aim in everything to please the Lord. So I, we've been talking about this a little bit because football season is getting ready to come. And I've been thinking, is it, you know, 
to, to, to come and worship on Sunday and then just give my, our, myself to football the rest of the day, which that's not really exactly what we do all the day, but it's, I'm just starting to feel like I, and I'm preparing my son. Like, I just don't, I just, I'm not sure that that's pleasing. I'm not sure that's the best way to use our Sunday afternoon. But someone might discern differently. The Bible doesn't say whether we should watch football on Sunday or not, Right? But, the, but what I'm asking you is the question. Do you, are you thinking about your life? Whether it's football on Sundays or taking this job or not taking this job or moving to this place or not moving to this place, the entirety of your life in everything, are you thinking, what will please the Lord in thought and word and deed, in action and reaction? at home, or at church, or in our neighborhoods, or in our workplaces, we're seeking to discern what would please the Lord? What would Jesus have me to do? Right, that, that was like when I became a Christian 23 years ago, it was all the rage to have the WWJD bracelets, right? What would Jesus do? And then that, like at some point, that became uncool, because it's like it's not about what would Jesus do, it's about what did Jesus do, right? He saved us. Well, they can go together, actually. And I think they're actually supposed to go together. A soul that's been saved is trying to discern what would please the Lord? What would Jesus have me do in this particular situation? What speech or conduct might befit his great worth in this particular situation? What should I avoid in terms of, let's say, entertainment that might possibly bring reproach upon Jesus? What ought I to pursue so as to be most pleasing to the one who bought me at the cost of his life? I, I was talking to my friend uh, and fellow uh, pastor friend, not fellow pastor in this church, but Anthony Coughlin uh, the other day. We were talking about the sermon that he's preaching on Sunday, uh, today, right now, uh, and, and what I'm preaching. And, and I was talking about what I'm saying, and he said, yeah, he said, he said sometimes we think as Christians, like we, we want to know, is it permissible? rather than ask the question, is it pleasing to the Lord? And I'm just, I, just, I, I was really, not, not, just, uh, not just focus on what is permissible. Like, can I do this? Is it a sin if I do this? Oh, it's not a sin? Okay, good. I'll, let's aim for higher than not sinning against God, right? In light of the grace that he's shown us, in light of the levies, let's aim for a little higher than not sinning. Let's aim for what would please him? What would please him? Because the love of Jesus sets us free from the guilt of our sins, from the penalty of our sins, but the love of Jesus also sets us free to love him and live for him, to earnestly and joyfully pursue a life that is worthy of him, that is pleasing to him in every way. That is the longing in the soul of a saint. He has freed his people to function properly, to like work for the very purpose that he created us in the first place to live for, which is to image him forth. I'm not the first uh, observer of this passage to note that this mention of bearing fruit and increasing or bearing fruit and multiplying, which is also mentioned in verse six there, that it, it harkens back to the Garden of Eden and the very purpose that God created Adam and Eve for, being fruitful and multiplying. Yes, it has to do with childbearing, but it has to do with reproducing image bearers of God, people who are reflecting increasingly what the Lord looks like by living in a way that's pleasing to him. That's what we were made for. That's what we've been redeemed for. 
right? Ephesians 2, verse 10, right? After Paul rejoices in that salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, not of works so that no one should boast, then he says in verse 10, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And that's where Paul goes next in his prayer for the Colossians. This worthy life, fully pleasing to him, is then elaborated on as a life, look at verse 10, bearing fruit in every good way. How, how would they? If you ask the question, okay, walk worthy of him, I get it's not about earning anything from him, it's, it's living to show his great worth, and it's seeking to please him in, every, in everything. What, how, what would I do? How would that, what, would that, what would happen? Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And let's just note here that this worthy walk is something that we're, we're growing in. You see, it says increasing in the knowledge of God. The fact that he's praying that they would be fully pleasing is just to communicate that they've not yet fully arrived at that. So there's, there's growth here. Paul says the same thing to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Finally then, brothers, it's another one of those where he says finally, but then he has like two and a half more chapters to, to write to them. Paul does that. He's like me. I'm almost done. <laughs> I'm actually not almost done right now. He says, finally then, brothers, this is 1 Thessalonians 4.1, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. See, that's, that's the teaching. Just as I taught you how to walk and please God and you are doing it, do it more and more. Because we haven't arrived yet. We're still works in progress and we will be unto the day of Christ. But in the heart of the saint is this, this yearning more and more. More love to thee, O Christ. More fruit for thee, O Christ. And to begin thinking about bearing fruit for God is not to turn away from grace and just start thinking about our own effort and activity. And we know that because Paul's praying for this to happen. If you're praying that fruit would be born and increasing, you're trusting in God. You're asking God to do something. And God doing anything in the life of a sinner is grace. He goes on after speaking about bearing fruit in every good work and increasing of the knowledge of God. He says, being strengthened with all power. Whose power might that be? Well, if you think it's your own power, he says clearly not, according to his glorious might. He's the one who will empower you. He's the one who's given you the Holy Spirit, as we just sang, I think, so beautifully in that song. The living breath of God to empower us, to create new life and enrich us and grow us. This is the work of God. To speak about good works is not to focus on what you need to do, but it's the Fruitful evidences of God's grace continuing to strengthen you and empower you and fill you. So every true saint yearns to please God in every way through the bearing of fruit in every good work. 
All kinds of good work. I think that is what it's saying. All kinds of good works. Doesn't mean that you, individual Christian, need to devote yourself to every single possible good work that could possibly be done on the planet. Right? You will burn yourself out that way. He's speaking of being fruitful, bearing fruit in all kinds of good works. And if we would wonder, if you might wonder, what would those good fruits be? I'm so glad you asked because Paul spends a good chunk of the second half of this letter just telling us about the kinds of good works that would please the Lord. When we seek him, I'm just going to summarize for you chapter 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, when we seek the things that are above and not the things that are on earth, that pleases the Lord. When we put to death sexual immorality and impurity and passion and evil desires and covetousness, that pleases the Lord. When we put off anger and wrath and malice and slander and obscene talk, when we put that stuff off, that pleases the Lord. When we put on compassion, that pleases the Lord. Kindness, humility, meekness and patience. When we, when we bear with each other, when we forgive each other, that pleases God. When that word of Christ dwells in you richly. Where, where's, where's our sister Meredith? I know I saw her here. She was greeting somebody. There you are, right there behind the birthday boy, Ben King. When that word gets hidden in our heart, Meredith, that pleases God. When, when wives submit to their husbands, that pleases God. When husbands love their wives sacrificially and are not harsh with them. Brother Frank back there, that pleases the Lord when you love your wife sacrificially. Fathers not provoking their children, but bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of your word. Ryan Elwell, that pleases the Lord, brother. Uh, Bond servants, which I think we could take to mean today employees, when you obey your employers and you work sincerely and you work hard, even if they're not good employers, Danny Bowers, that pleases the Lord. Your, his employer is not here, okay? I mean, Jesus is the ultimate. He's everybody's boss. You understand what I'm saying? I could go on and on here. This point could be as long or as short as a... Sister Pauline, when you continue steadfastly in prayer for Christian workers, that pleases the Lord. Uh, where's, where's our sister May? Is she here? Is she downstairs? She was here. Where's May? No, there's pointing. People are pointing. There you are. When you keep on persevering in, pray, in prayer for us, like you have even when you weren't living here, that pleases the Lord. When we, when we walk in wisdom, Lindy Shields, in the way that we engage towards outsiders and we seek to commend Jesus to the lost wisely and humbly but earnestly, that pleases the Lord. There's lots more. When we do good, Sherry Tartaglione, and when we share what we have with others, that pleases the Lord. You please the Lord in that way. When we offer God, it's a, I'm, now I'm moving beyond Colossians. When we offer to God uh, worship with awe and reverence, 
Jake, even back there in the tech booth, that pleases the Lord when you worship him with awe and reverence. In 1 Timothy 5, 4, it says, and this is so many of you, this is almost too many names to, to, to count right now in this church, but when you support your own parents or grandparents who are in need and you care for them, First, uh, first, uh, first Timothy, let me make sure I get the verse right. First Timothy 5, 4 says, that pleases the Lord, saints. And I, we could go on. It might be good to go on. But I, I want you to understand in all these ways and so many more that the Bible, the Bible says in 1 John 3, whenever we keep God's commandments, we're doing what pleases him. You pick a commandment in there and obey not to earn a relationship with God, not to get God off your back so that you can go on in some other way. Those are the filthy rags that was talking about in Isaiah 64. When we just try to do some things right, some religious activity to get God off of our back so we can keep living our own way, that's filthy rags. But when we give ourselves to obeying the commandments, not to earn a relationship with God, but out of joyful gratitude to the God who has so richly loved us in Christ, and when we have a sincere desire to please our gracious and master and Lord, even though we know our lives aren't perfect and maybe even those acts that we're doing aren't perfect, he is pleased. He is delighted in that. And that's intended to encourage you and motivate you because if you are anything like me, I am far more fixated on all that's still wrong and broken in me. So I could go and I could engage in, in some of the good works that God has called me to do and walk in them and ignore the pleasure of God, but just be thinking about all the ways that my life continues to displease him. And I'm just trying to even that out a little bit. Yeah, we're, no one in this room is perfect. We all have, we are still growing. We still need to pray that God would help us walk worthily and be pleasing. We will not arrive till that day we arrive in glory. But I just want you to know, if your whole posture is, I stink, let me open up a world to you in the Bible of the glory of pleasing God by our acts of obedience. When some of you are in the stage right now, others of you have been in the stage, you've got a two-year-old, let's say, and you're trying to, you are just laboring to teach that two-year-old to say thank you when they receive something, whether it's their food or a gift or something, and you're just teaching them to say thank you, say thank you, say thank you, and they're not saying thank you. And then finally, something, one day you're not expecting it maybe, and, and you get this, thank you, or something like that. Do you know what I'm saying? What kind of a father would be like, why don't you pronounce it right? Man, that's like a filthy rag, that thank you. No, the father is ecstatic, is overjoyed. She said it. She said thank you. It sounds like taku, but she said it. That's the way your father is in heaven. He's a loving father. Do not talk about your, if you are trying to do religious activities to excuse living in habitual unrepentant sin, your, your acts of righteousness are filthy rags. But do not ever say, Saint, because you, you love the Lord and your aim is to please him and you know you're not perfect, but you're sincerely acting to serve him. Do not say that your righteousness is filthy rags. That does not honor your heavenly father to say that. And I just said that dogmatically and definitively. Happy to talk with you in the back if you really want to cling to filthy rags, but I, why would you want to cling to filthy rags? God is pleased 
with our obedience. That's real, though imperfect. And what I am suggesting, and I hope I've given you some biblical weight to make this not just a suggestion, but a teaching from Scripture, that every true saint yearns to please the Lord in every way. Have we seen that in the study of God's word today? Every saint yearns to please the Lord in every way. Well, I hope we've seen it. And I want to close now with some points of application that I hope will help you to think about these things a little bit more. Take a breath. There are nine of them. Most of them will be very brief. Um, and some of you, we got a love-hate relationship with application. Some of you are like, what? like, I do not, I just feel like it's a weight. You're telling me what to do. Just take me to Jesus. And then others of you are like, oh, it was great. We, we talked about Jesus, but like, help me to know what to do. So that's in the room right now, both of that. So take these as suggestions that may be helpful, not demands that you must adhere to, but just take them as suggestions that might be helpful. Uh, number one, consider, am I truly a saint? Am I truly a saint? Now, I have been using that word saint a whole lot. I did it because it's what Paul says in the beginning to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in verse 2. To be a saint is not to be some especially pious, wonderful Christian who's got a church named after him. To be a saint means to be a Christian. It means one who has been consecrated to God through faith in Jesus Christ. A saint is a Christian. So I'm asking you to consider this morning, are you actually a Christian? And I think those of you that are here week in and week out understand that I don't usually, we don't get up here and just preach sermons everywhere where we just ask you all to just examine whether you're actually saved or not. This is one of those Sundays where I actually just felt compelled that we should consider that. You may be a member of the church. That doesn't mean that you are saved, guaranteed. Are you a saint? If you're here this morning and you know yourself to not be a Christian, I just want to make sure that you have heard me say to you that you are not pleasing God at all. If you have not trusted in Jesus as your Savior, your life is not pleasing to him in anything. Like, you'd be like, well, some of those things that you just rattled off as commands in the Bible, I th I do, I'm not harsh with my wife. I do good work at my job, and they can count on me. I'm dependable. If you think that the little areas where you are doing well is going to justify your living your life for you, you need to understand that your goodness over here is like a filthy rag to God. You cannot go your own way and live your own way and be pleasing to God. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, without faith, it is impossible to please him. So the call on you, if you're here this morning and you have not put your faith in Jesus, is to look back to what I shared earlier about all that grace that God has shown to us in Jesus and turn away from your sin and even turn away from your sinful, quote-unquote, obedience and rest in and receive Jesus alone. Do that today. Don't wallow in the filth of your own morality. But even if you're here this morning and you think yourself to be a Christian, you identify as a Christian. You are a member of a church, perhaps. When I describe a heart that is yearning to please God, be honest with yourself about whether that assessment is actually true of you. Uh, young people, teenagers, it's wonderful that you're being raised in a home where you're being brought to church. 
But because you come to church and you know information about the gospel, that does not mean that your heart has been changed. That does not mean you are not saved, you do not become a saint by doing stuff. But if it's true that every saint truly, every true saint yearns to please the Lord, ask yourself whether that's really true of you. I'm not just talking to the teenagers, I'm talking about everybody. Is that really true of me? And if you're concerned about that, if this is giving you pause, seek the Lord about that. Go to God in prayer about that. And maybe come to another brother or sister in Christ, a pastor, and tell them that you're not sure. And let us help you with that. Uh, One of the reasons that the church exists is to be an assurance of salvation cooperative, where we work to help each other be confident of God's work in us because sometimes you don't see the evidence of God's grace in your own life, but we do. Or sometimes you might think everything's just fine and we might have concern. We do that for each other. So if you're hearing a sermon about pleasing God and it just feels like an oppressive weight to you, or if you're just devastated at how much rotten fruit you still see in your life, talk about that. Have conversation about that. Now, that was the longest point of application. The other eight are built on you reckoning honestly, by the grace of God, I do believe I'm walking worthily of him. I believe that God actually, that that should be the case for most of you here. Not I'm perfect, not I am amazing, and I have no work to do in growing as a Christian, but by the grace of God, I do love Jesus, and I do desire to please him. For those of you that that is you, here are eight more pieces of application, and I will go quickly, except for the last one. No, I will go quickly. Read the Bible regularly. Read the Bible regularly. Paul says that this worthy life comes as we're filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that is not some mystical experience where you get a feeling about what job you're supposed to take or what house you're supposed to live in. The knowledge of God's will in spiritual wisdom and understanding comes from the scriptures that the Holy Spirit inspired. So if you want to grow in a life pleasing to the Lord, you must immerse yourselves in the knowledge of God's will, which is found in the Bible. So give yourselves to reading scripture. If you don't have a habit of regularly taking in the Bible, let another brother or sister help you get going in that habit. Uh, number three, application number three, pray this prayer, Colossians 1, 9 to 12. Just pray this prayer for yourself every day this week. If you have a spouse and or children that you live with at home with you, uh, pray it with them and for them as well. Pray this prayer every day this week. Number four, pray this prayer, Colossians 1, 9 to 12. Pray it for another member of this church every day this week and reach out to that member and let them know that you've prayed for them. The you here in Colossians 1 is a y'all. We pursue a, I mean, it just is, right? Jordan, it's a, Jordan's my authority for the day. I'm putting you on the spot, man. He's writing to a church. We're to help each other walk in this pleasing way. So pray for other members of the church and let them know that you're praying. Number five, take some time this week to read the book of Colossians in one sitting. It's, it's less, if you read at the pace that I read that prayer earlier, it's less than 15 minutes to read the whole book start to finish. Read the book of Colossians with a particular eye towards that fruit that might be born in your life to the pleasure and glory of God. 
And maybe just, maybe just key in on one particular area that sticks out to you as a way that you want to grow in fruitfulness for the Lord. Uh, number six, as you read, ask the Lord if there is any area of your life in which you have been walking in a way that is displeasing to the Lord. Because of the freedom from guilt and condemnation that we have in Jesus, we don't need to dread asking him that question. Lord, is there anything displeasing in me? Is there any way that is grieving you about how I'm living my life? Ask him that. And number seven, when the Lord addresses you about that, when he reveals something to you about that, tell someone close to you that the Lord has shown you about this particular area of your life that is displeasing to him and seek their prayers and their encouragement and their accountability to, to, to grow in a way that would be worthy of the Lord in that area. Um, number, oh, huh, if, I'm gonna do that next week with you. The whole sermon next week is me telling you, here's an area of my life that's been displeasing to the Lord. Help me. That's next week's sermon. Did someone just say, cool? Okay. Maybe not. Maybe I just heard that in my head. Number eight. Number eight. This is important. All jokes aside, this is important. Look to, rejoice in, and give thanks for the perfectly pleasing life of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is our only ground or basis of ever possibly pleasing the Lord. It was only Jesus who was called by the Father at his baptism. This is my one and only son. We have been made God's children, praise God, through faith in Christ. But it was of Jesus only where God would say, this is my one and only son with whom I am well pleased. He is the one who was so entirely devoted to the Father's will that he said it was his food to do his Father's will and to do what was acceptable, to do what is pleasing in his sight. He said in John 8, 29, I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And it is only that perfectly pleasing life by which you, sinner, would have any hope of being pleasing to the Lord. So look to and rest in and rejoice in the perfectly pleasing life of our Lord Jesus. Number nine, meditate on the glory that is yet to come. When our yearnings will give way to the satisfied contentment and joy of being perfectly pleasing to the Lord because we will be changed into his image such that we will be like him because we will see him as he is. A day is coming. It's going to be, next Sunday is going to be a really sweet day, soon to be Mr. and Mrs. Picking, but there is a greater wedding that is yet to come. And it says in Ephesians chapter 5 that Jesus will present the church to himself on that day when he comes again in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. And on that day it will come to pass the saying, as we have borne the image of the man of dust, so shall we bear the image of the man of heaven. That day is coming. And that day is meant to sustain us and fuel us with, with hope even as we struggle with the shabby fruit that we see in our own lives today. And sometimes it looks shabby. We lament the ways that our lives fall short of fully pleasing them. It's why we have a prayer of confession practically every Sunday in this service. We fall short and we know we fall short, but we fall short with a yearning, a yearning, a yearning to be fully pleasing to the Lord, to be, ha to be 
arriving at that day, as it says in the, in the great song, till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. So the weaknesses that you see, the inconsistencies that you see, they are not to be the occasion of condemnation for you, truster in Jesus. They are meant to be the occasion for you yearning for consummation. When Jesus comes and transforms our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There's a whole lot of glory that we have to look forward to when Jesus comes. Reunions with loved ones who've departed, no sickness, no suffering, no wheelchairs, no, 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 nothing confounding, a glorified creation. Oh, it's going to be great on that final day. The greatest greatness is that we will never sin again because we will be with Jesus and the work of growing will be done and it says our faces will shine like the sun in the kingdom of our Father. Rejoice in your coming hope, dear saints. And until that day, let us yearn for and prayerfully pursue a walk that is worthy of the Lord for the good pleasure of him who is our salvation and our exceeding joy. I love you. And I love the Bible. And I hope you've been helped in God's word today. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his perfect life. We thank you for his loving, sacrificial death. We thank you for his victorious resurrection. We thank you for his ascension to heaven where he is even now seated at your right hand and praying for us. We thank you that he sent the Holy Spirit to make us alive to our lost condition without you, to make us alive to the glory shining in the face of Jesus when we were too blinded in darkness to be able to recognize him. We thank you for opening our eyes and our hearts, for saving us, and for sanctifying us, for setting us apart for yourself. And we thank you for bearing with us in our weakness and for promising us to strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might. Help us to know that divine power as we grow in a life pleasing to you. Not to earn anything from you, but for the sheer joy of delighting one who has so richly loved us. We ask for all this in Jesus' name. Amen.